Hello and welcome to the Alternative Podcast. Today we have a special guest of us, Jay Bratt. He's what I would call a VR specialist. Uh, not too sure what he calls himself, but we'll find out shortly. Uh, he knows a hell of a lot about VR and we are sort of interviewing him today to sort of find out where VR is headed, where it's at at the moment and what we should be looking forward to or what we should not be looking forward to on the other side of things as well. So Jay, great to see you. Um, do you want to let us know a bit about how you got into VR in the sort of the way you're in it at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Jay Brat. I'm a VR YouTuber and occasionally streamer. I've been a little bad on that side lately. I've been running my YouTube channel for about three and a half years, but I've been in VR for, it's got to be coming up on seven years now. Wow. I had like a gear VR, you know, the one where you had to slip your phone into it. Oh, it was oh, yeah. like my my very first headset, which actually wasn't as bad as people think. Like if you had that headset and a gamepad, like an Xbox controller and headphones, it was actually OK. But I've I've actually I've never worked in the industry. I'm not like a engineer or anything. So all of my knowledge is just from having VR as a very intense hobby. And of course, now for the last few years, making a channel about it, uh, I first I was a gamer all growing up and I kind of started to fall off. I thought maybe I was just aging out, you know, kind of not gaming as much. But then I started seeing the first developer kits for the like the Oculus DK one. And I was like that. That's how I want to game. And when we started to get in headsets, when I got a PSVR, I was back into gaming. I absolutely love VR. And ever since then, I've it's like everything I can do to up the immersion, show it to everyone else. It's it's just become my love. And now it's my life, too. So I feel really lucky. Now you say it, I completely forgot. But when I bought a Samsung, I forgot which one it was. It came no, no, with it yep. the S6. Maybe yep. the S6. It came the S6 with or the S7. It was they had a free promo. That's how I got my first Gear VR. S7. I had already I had already pre-ordered the PSVR, but then I needed a phone upgrade, and they were like, "You can get a free gear." So I was like, <laughs> I'll, "I'll play this in the meantime." I didn't even have any idea. I'm not even gonna lie. I didn't have any idea what it actually was until it yeah. arrived. <laughs> um, but one thing I do remember is because obviously I've done the the gear with my S7, and then well, obviously you've got the Oculus is what you're out now. When I did the the S7, even when I was just watching things on it, I just felt so ill. I felt sick. Yep. Um, yep. Going through it. Whereas the Oculus is now they're a lot different. You feel a lot more. I don't know. You just I feel like you feel more immersed, so you feel less ill from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a big part of what people don't realize is frame rate plays a huge role in whether you get sick or not. Because in real life, you know, when we're looking around seeing things, we're seeing it all in real time. But when you get into a headset, especially in those old phone ones, the phone would start to overheat and the frame rate would drop. So you imagine you turn your head 90 degrees really quick and it lags. The screen kind of jitters its way to turn with you. That's how you instantly make people sick. And even original Doom on a flat screen made people sick back in the day. So technology has to catch up and people also have to get used to it. So now we're all doing much better, higher frame rates, better technology, and people have dabbled in it more where it used to be same issue would happen watching a flat screen, which is hard to believe is even possible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because um, being, I'm not a VR gamer, but I'm just a flat screen gamer, probably one of the calls now. Um, I've got a friend who, there's a game Raft that we play and yeah. he gets so seasick playing that game. But he just cannot <laughs> play it at all anymore. And he's obviously got a top PC with very high frame rates. I think he's got 240 frame rate. Um, but he can't even play Raft, so. Yeah, some people are more susceptible. It'll mm. happen. 
Oh, God. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so you've seen the hardware grow from the gear to the Oculus. Um, what was it before gear? Do you know much about the history? Well, it's actually interesting because, like, I remember once when I was a kid at the Family Fun Center. So I don't know if those are kind of a thing in uh, the UK, but it's basically like it's like if you merged an arcade and like mini golf and go karts. It's like a place you go that's just everything a family can do together. It's all there in one place. And they had this like pop up virtual reality booth. And I mean, I'm talking this must have been like late 90s. Like this is a long time ago. And I just remember as this little kid, I really wanted to try it but it was like 20 bucks to do it. And that was a lot of money to my family when I was a kid. And so there was no way, but ever since then, I was always like really curious. Like I want to know what that is and what was going on in that booth. Cause you can only kind of see it from the outside. And I mean, from the outside, this was like a black screen with like little uh, like green lines as like a grid, you know, and you were like hunting a deer or something, but VR has been actually around for quite a long time in these early models. Uh, it wasn't until I think about 2000. 12 2000 somewhere in there palmer lucky uh realized he was a big vr fan realized that we're with phones we basically had all the technology we needed now to actually do this so that he started oculus and of course eventually was bought by facebook and then that's the modern vr we know now but there was actually a surgence in the 90s where people thought vr was going to go mainstream back then and the technology was just way too bad for it to even come close so in the 90s was it used for gaming generally as well there was some gaming, you know, arcades like I went to had it, but it was just so expensive that mostly companies were experimenting with it, trying to figure out what they could do. Of course, Nintendo launched the Virtual Boy, which kind of made people think that's what VR was, but really it's not. The Virtual Boy is basically just a set of 3D glasses looking at a flat screen and it was all red and smeary and gross and it just it. It, but that tricked people thinking, oh, this is what VR is. And then, of course, there was movies that came out at the time, too, that made people think, oh, this is going to be this huge thing. But then they'd try it, and the technology was so bad in comparison that nobody wanted to give it the time of day. Mm. So in the 90s, what do you know what the screen technology they were using in the VR was? Oh, I mean, if you look at, like, the Virtual Boy, it was... I don't know the exact... It wasn't... It didn't look like CRTs because it was way too small. Yeah. To be like a, you know, so... It was it was probably early, early LCD screens, but a lot of it was like a single color panel, like those old computer screens you're used to seeing. It's only green or it's only red. It's not a whole color panel. And yeah, it looked really rough. You can see some interesting videos on YouTube, though, that take you back and show like people had these things on their heads. I don't even know how their neck supported, how big it was (laughs) massive (laughs) on their heads. And they're looking around and they have these huge gloves on with 10, 15 big wires hanging off of them trying to do it. And. It was early. I'm sure it was incredible back then, too, though. Like, I'm sure if you got inside it, even though it looked terrible, it was probably amazing to for the time of technology. Yeah, but of it, course, yeah. Yeah, it has to, technology has to reach a point where people can afford even an expensive version of it, like it did when it was about $1,000 a few years ago. But back then, you know, think about something like that, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for something that's just, no one can have it. Well, is the, so uh, one thing I've always been interested in VR is because of the affordability of it. So you can get a VR headset, you can pick them up for a couple hundred pounds or hundred dollars. Um, but isn't the price due to spike up soon? It, it's possible. So when VR first kind of started going mainstream back in 2016, the Vive came out was a thousand dollars and you needed at least a thousand dollar PC to play it. 
uh, the Rift, it was a little cheaper, but it didn't come with controllers. So once you bought the touch controllers, that brought you back up to that $1,000 price. So PSVR was like the first affordable one at $500, but most people already owned the PS4 to play it. Then Oculus, now Meta, when they really wanted to push VR to the mainstream, they dropped the first Oculus Quest and they said, okay, we're going to subsidize these things. We've ne they've never announced how much money they were losing for each one, but at the price point of like $400, it, it was likely even just the processor in it. They were losing at least a few hundred dollars per unit, plus all the costs to design, to market. Like I think they reported this year, they've lost $9.2 billion so far investing in the metaverse, like tons of money. And so now as Meta's not making as much money as they were, their stocks are down and stuff. Yes, they were the big ones that were really subsidizing the VR industry. Prices may start to go up higher and try to actually compensate for the fact that they were losing so much money. They're not in a position where they can lose as much money anymore. So we've, is it Apple's are looking to come out at a bit much larger price than Meta's? So they're... Well, Apple are doing what Apple do best, right? They're coming out with the best sleek device they can, and they've already got the the audience for it. So it's just about switching their audience from Meta to to their own VR. What's their VR going to be called, Apple? They haven't announced the name. They recently just changed the name of the operating system to it to XROS, kind of playing on the whole as the industry is kind of moving towards this XR term, which XR is basically an umbrella term. That means VR, that means AR, that means mixed reality. It includes all of it because these headsets are starting to get to the point where they can do all of this. It's no longer just VR or AR. Uh, Apple, like you said, they're gonna do what they do best and that's taking technology, whether it's new or even slightly old, they market the crap out of it, make it really user-friendly, and anyone who owns an Apple device feels they have to have it. So they're everything saying their headset is probably between two and $3,000. Oh, flipping hell. Yeah. Apple can do that because they make it no longer a want. Do you know like when you said back in the day you saw it and you wanted to get to know it more, Apple then take that feeling that you've got against millions of people and then say you don't want this you need this and yeah especially to apple's like big fan base they any new product apple bring out they need it yep yep they have to have it's even <clears> a <throat> bit of a status symbol i'm guessing that's the same around the world but here in mm -hmm. america it's almost like if you don't use an apple phone people kind of look down on you it's like ew what crappy phone are you using yeah <laughs> and as someone who doesn't use apple products i know how i i get that from people all the time like i pull out my phone and they're like you have a phone that's not an iphone like how is that even possible <laughs> yeah. they know what they're doing when it comes to marketing it's the, it's the pinnacle of marketing for technology yeah you get mm -hmm. it as well when you send someone a text and then they're like yep. you what is this green <laughs> box yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a second class experience they've created and they know they've done it. They know they could change it, but why would they want to? It forces yeah. more people to buy their products. And as a company, ultimately, that's all they want. Yeah, they've hit the nail on the head with the um, with status and providing mm -hmm. status for, for everyone. Um, Definitely. So let's see what they come out with. Do you think Apple will overtake Meta in this space? I think that they won't. I, I don't think so, but I think that they will do what they usually do. They'll bring a bunch of people to VR that didn't care about it. And all of a sudden, you're going to have people telling you, hey, have you heard of this thing? Apple's invented this and you've never tried anything like <laughs> it. And you're going to be the one sitting there thinking, 
I've done this for years. But Apple convinces them that it's something totally new. It's totally different. It's their thing. And there'll be this huge subset of people that are really into Apple's version that probably normally wouldn't have cared about VR anyways. And then some people will switch over, but it's more going to be a new audience, which is a good thing for VR as a whole. I'm not mad at all that they're doing that, but it's just always funny. I remember that was a thing when like an iPhone finally got wireless charging yeah. and people were all telling me, have you heard of this? Like, this is totally new. I can just set it down and it charges out. And I'm like, I think we've had that at Samsung for like three years now, <laughs> but I just let them, you know, let them have their moment. I don't correct them. I'm like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And it's, that's Apple knows what they're doing. Yeah. That's the thing with Androids, right? Is you get so you, cause I've been on Android for a long time. You get so used to the little uh, gimmicks that they have and then Apple drop it. And then suddenly everyone's talking about it. And yeah. then you're just shocked at, well, <laughs> yeah, I just totally thought it was normal. Knew. Yeah, this is something you've taken for granted for the past two years, and now everyone's talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's probably going to be when Apple steps in, we're going to see that same thing because they're going to make the apps really user-friendly. They're going to make it work really well. And yeah. all of a sudden, people are going to be talking about, oh my gosh, I can use this device and I can see through it, but I can also have a screen up for stats while I'm watching the hockey game on TV. And it's like, we're like, oh, we've, we've seen all this, but Apple's made it so user-friendly that everyone's suddenly into it. Mm, yeah, because I saw a video on LinkedIn um, of an AR someone's got through the phone, and then uh, at the World Cup they hold up their phone to the to the pitch, and then you click on a player, and it tells you who the player is, what club they play for, how old they are, how many goals they've scored in in the World Cup. So, I mean, there's it even showed like when the positions move on the pitch it shows whether they're going to attack a position or a defensive position mm. pretty like pretty cool stats to see whilst you're watching the game um yeah. imagine if you had that just wearing it while his glasses yeah casually at your home watching that yeah. you're getting what like 10 times as much information as you're watching a game mm. 10 times more than a commentator can tell you whilst, whilst yeah. watching the game yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how it changes the space, but I definitely think Apple will step in as another big company. I don't know that they'll take over at that price, but just like everything else that Apple does, you know, there's a huge subset of people that believe that MacBooks and are the only thing you can use, and they don't care how much they're paying for it, while most people still have a regular PC because it works well and it, they're, Apple's just so expensive. <laughs> yeah, and then Apple dropped the M M1 and M2 chips and that just took everyone away from windows even more just to say you've got these chips that do absolutely everything that you need but then obviously i can see you've built your own pc uh, yeah <laughs> it looks like because i built mine it looks like it's a dying breed of people who are going to stay on windows are just going to be the people that build their own um, yeah everyone else is going to go towards the the apple apple route for a large convenience are, are you putting the M2 chip in the VR headset? Whew, that I don't know. Uh, I we don't we really don't know much about it. We've seen renders. We've heard that they've renamed the operating system, and we've kind of heard like they're retuning their maps to be usable in VR headsets and some of their other stuff. But we really don't know a lot of the technical specs yet. It might be out there, and I haven't heard about. It. I don't follow Apple super closely, but I don't know what chipset or what they're doing. But I've got to imagine it's going to be their most advanced chip if they're asking for that much money. Yeah, they might be making a chip specifically for this headset. Um... Obviously, the headset works a lot different than a laptop would. But what well, one question that I've got, um, and if you can answer it, um, then great. But if you've got an opinion on it, then 
that's fine. But the way I see Apple coming into the market is they they're, they're building hardware, which is great. But I see them more of a as a software company. So with AR, VR, XR, and the way it is at the moment, it's more catered towards. I won't say catered, but there's more to do in it for a gamer than there is for your average person, unless your whole sort of company has one and you want to join like a Zoom meet or a Teams meeting um, through the headset. But when I see Apple are actually making a lot of headway into coming into the market, I start questioning what exactly are they, who are they going to cater? Because they go for the market of your average person. So what, what in AR, VR, XR, what is there in, in that market at the moment or in that industry for your average person, apart from gaming, apart from just socializing? What, what else is there to do for them? What is it people said that back in the day, if they offered to give someone a car, they would have said, I don't want that thing. What is that? They wanted a faster horse. They didn't know they wanted or needed a car. I think Apple will probably look to do the same thing here. They're going to show people how useful these are you know imagine how many times have you had your gps out and you see a turn coming up and you're like is that this road is that the next road i don't know and you miss the turn well you think about glasses that you see right through into the normal world but it's now projecting a blue line directly onto the street that shows you exactly where to turn you know think about how useful these things can be in your everyday life and if they show everyone hey basically you need to have this thing on 24 7 it's going to replace your phone it's going to do everything your phone's done and better now, suddenly it's something everyone needs because not everyone's a gamer. Not everyone has work meetings there. I would imagine they're going to step in and be like, this is the, the most useful piece of tech you can have. It's going to change your whole life. And that's why you have to have it. It's kind of like the iPad. I mean, really, even now iPads are kids use them, I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't know anyone who really uses a tablet anymore because phones can do it all. But back then it was like you had to have this iPad. And even back then it was like, why do I need this? Like, it's fun. But even now I'm like, when I owned one, I'm like, why did I have, what did I ever do with it that was ever useful? But people thought they had to have it because it looked so useful. Yeah, it's just like a downgraded version of a um, of a laptop. It was sort of in between <laughs> a laptop and a phone. Yeah. And yeah. they built a full market on it. Yeah, but there was no Windows startup time. You know, you picked it, you just grabbed it. You were on the internet. You were checking the weather. You were playing Angry Birds. It was just, and you just were able to put it back down. Well, imagine that's these glasses that you can wear all the time, but in a moment's notice, you pop it up and you look around downtown and you see the scores above every restaurant of their rating. That when you look at it, you have directions that just show you where to go. Any notes or any reminders pop up in this thing instead of having to have an assistant that tells you, hey, you have a 1030 meeting this time. If they can convince you this is going to change your whole life, how productive you are and what you do, then everyone's going to be like, okay, well, I need this because this is going to make me a better person. Yeah, the convenience level of it. Um, make your life more convenient by putting these glasses on whenever you're doing, doing anything. Um, it sort of reminds me a lot well, I can't help, but have you watched Black Mirror ever? Oh, yeah, all of them. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that episode where she's got a contact lens in and everyone's scores popping up around her. Yep. I can't help but see the evolution of AR, VR, XR uh, heading into that direction. <laughs> yeah. How many yeah, Instagram that's... followers you've got? We have... Uh contact lenses now that do augmented reality you know they're still mostly at trade shows and stuff these aren't for the masses but one thing that someone was telling me would try to pair that you forget is that when you close your eyes you still see it 
Oh, yeah. Your eyelids go over the contact lenses. The contacts yeah. are still there. So you're always seeing what's there. And that's wild to think about that that's possible. That is wild. Because imagine what your dreams will be like <laughs> whilst you're fast asleep. You can actually, do you know, sometimes I put a video on and then listen to it and fall asleep. You could yeah. literally be watching a video whilst you're sleeping with your eyes closed. So weird. <laughs> that's quite a scary thought. Like. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, what if you're retaining information differently if you're watching something whilst you're asleep? There's a there's a belief that it affects you, but a lot of research says that really you can't like people leave a language on while they're sleeping and they think they're going to learn the language and research has shown it really doesn't work that way. But that's usually with audio. We've never had the opportunity to make people see stuff in their sleep because we dream, we see stuff while we're sleeping. So that, I mean, obviously you shouldn't sleep in contacts, especially probably thicker contacts that have screens in them. But if it got to a point where they made them with the technology that it was okay, that there'll probably be some research on it. I'd be interested in hearing. Mm. So when, because obviously when you did your 10 days in VR, you kept the VR on whilst you slept. So I so know I obviously kept it. your eyes were closed. So I guess for the people listening who have never heard of this, uh, yeah, when we reached 10,000 subscribers, an idea that had come up was spend 10 straight days in virtual reality. And, you know, I think it was a joke. Someone had said, oh, you should try this. And no one thought I would really do it. And it came time and I was like, you know what? I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this. This was a total secret. I prepared. I got everything I needed on hand. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start a stream on this day. And all I'm going to tell the community is that I'm going to do 10 days of streams for 10K. I didn't warn them because I didn't want to get eight hours in. My eyes would be on fire and I'd give up. I, I wanted to save myself the embarrassment. <laughs> but by like hour eight or 10, I was like, wow, this feels pretty doable. And so I announced, all right, here's the plan, everybody. I'm going to keep streaming day and night for the next 10 days straight and i'm going to be in vr the whole time my only breaks i allowed myself i had to eat in vr i had to sleep in vr i had to go to the bathroom in vr i did allow myself to take it off for two showers a day because i knew i didn't want to be absolutely disgusting from this and i didn't have enough headsets to wear one in the shower and risk electrocuting myself so yeah i i would stay in vr i would game i would sit there at my desk and chat with people with virtual monitors in front of me so i could see the chat i would eat underneath the bottom of the headset just still had it on but when i went to bed at night typically i'd put netflix on because netflix has a vr app where you can lay back and position the tv up above you and i would just have the tv running and then i'd fall asleep with the tv on now it it's the weird thing was i it didn't really affect my dreams because i didn't really dream i think i just never got good enough sleep or something to really remember much of my dreams but there is no right now it is so bad trying to figure out a way to have that heads on your face and not feel like it's killing you all night long like people have said oh i've taken a nap or i've laid back and watched like yeah that's one or two hours that's not eight straight hours of sleep with you know this 500 600 gram headset on your face and with the quest 2 i thought oh i'll use the stock strap it's soft it's flexible it'll be easy well i had that on the first night and that elastic was pulling the headset even further into my face. And I woke up at one point and I thought I was being strangled to death by this headset. So yeah, it, there was a lot of crazy things that we can unpack and talk about. But the weirdest thing since we're talking about sleep was when it was all over, the next night I got back in bed with my wife, you know, and normally you come back from vacation and you lay in your bed and you're like, oh, I've been gone for so long. It didn't feel like I'd been gone for more than a single night. I could not 
understand that it had been 10 whole days. And when I thought back, I couldn't break the days apart in my mind either. Like I remembered playing rec room with the community. I remember playing VR chat. I remember playing poker stars yet. I could never tell you, Oh, that was like day three or that was, just, it was like, it was all one day. And I had been away from my bed for one night when I got back in my bed, it was the weirdest feeling. Do you think it's because you didn't experience sort of the sun going coming up and the sun going yep. down? Yeah, it was no day nights. I was, I was, even though I was following a schedule still, I got up every morning, I exercised and beat saber multiplayer with people. I ate lunch, I ate dinner. My wife was still working her normal job from home. So I knew when it was lunchtime, when it was dinner time. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I never saw the sun come up or go down, I was in this room, it was completely sealed off. I had no windows showing. It was like, you know, I was, I was not part of the world anymore. Yeah, I had the loss of day night cycles. I had no idea what the passage of time was anymore. That's so weird. How it just feels like it's just one big blurry day. Yeah, I still, even to this day, when I try to like separate out what happens, it's really hard. The only thing that's helped is going back and going through the footage and figuring out the video. At least I kind of saw, okay, there was a passage of a lot of time, but it just felt like one long day. I don't know if I, could do if I could do <laughs> full 10 days in there. Do you think it um, made you appreciate sort of real life experiences more once you came out? <laughs> It definitely, I was like, wow, as soon as this thing is over, I'm going to eat something. I'm going to, I'm going to go outside and I'm going <laughs> to sleep. Those are my three things all without a VR headset on. Cause that was the other thing too. People don't realize, you know, yeah, it was 10 days of VR. But it was also 10 days straight of streaming. It was pretty much 10 days in one room. This room right here, there's a bathroom right here, a full bathroom with a shower. So that's where I went to the bathroom. I was right here. Nat was luckily making meals and bringing them down for me. So I literally didn't leave this room for 10 days. I was streaming. So I was constantly thinking about people watching me. I had a camera on me when I slept. So I had to think about that too. And, and the weirdest thing, when I stepped outside, you'd think like, oh, it was so bright or so overwhelming. My nose went crazy. Like there was a million smells coming from everything and they weren't bad, but it was so overwhelming because my nose had only breathed air in here for 10 straight days. I went outside. There was just way too many smells all at once. It was like, wow. Oh yeah. There's quite a few aspects of it, which you wouldn't really feel, uh, think about because you've just done 10 days in VR. You, uh, anyone would just ultimately be thinking about, oh my God, he's been in VR for 10 days, but it's hard for anyone to commit 10 days even just on one task to fully commit the full 10 days, day and night, even on one thing. But I mean, in your video, you said you've learned a lot more than just what it's like to be in VR for 10 days. Like, what else did you learn about sort of yourself? Cause you're sort of in a sense, you're on your own, but you, you mentioned, obviously you got the stream that's with you and that obviously helped, but you've got these, online people who aren't really people who you're spending all your time with how weird was that side of it it was it was twofold so one it was kind of weird because it was like I've, I've done long streams before you know and you're always talking to people you're always engaging but to some degree it's always a little one-sided because you're responding to their questions as their questions come in it's not like this normal communication like we're doing right now back and forth but two, it actually made me feel not lonely because no matter what, there was always someone there, whether they were watching or chatting, there was always people there, which also I think helped the time go by faster. 
but it forced me to also play more multiplayer games because I knew there were people there. I was like, let's go do something together. Let's hang out together. Where if I had tried to do a 10 day challenge alone, I probably would have just stayed in Minecraft the whole time, like just built and scavenged and survived. And I might've gotten really lonely and really depressed, but having done it all on stream, I never felt that like, oh, wow, I'm truly alone right now that I think I would have felt if I had allowed myself to just do the stream the way I would have thought I wanted to, which would have been, you know, keep a camera on me for 10 days, but just live my life playing whatever game I felt like. Mm. Do you think that's something you, you will do or you would like to do in the future? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, oh, I said me. after it, I said after, I don't think there's anything more I could learn. Even if I'd gone for a hundred days versus 10, I don't think I would learn any more. So unless there was like a really good cause or a good reason, I don't see doing it again because I felt like I kind of learned everything I could, but I definitely, once it gets to the point where the headsets are more comfortable, they're easier to see through the better pass through like a quest pro. If I had done that, when that thing existed, it wouldn't have been that hard. I can walk around my house seeing full color pass through of everything. I could have went up and made meals. I could have done anything and everything with that headset, but the technology of the time was not quite even there. And even now it's not that much better. But I mean, if in another three years, if we have really easy augmented reality, virtual reality glasses that are like sunglasses, I don't think we will in three years. But if we did, I would, I mean, you could probably spend a month in it and be like, you're, you'd just say, you know, I didn't take my AR glasses off for a month, but it would still be pretty normal life. What I did was pretty like, I was stuck in place with a cable either to my head or with my quest on with its battery. And I just was not a mobile, normal human being. I was pretty tied down from it. One thing I found interesting from the video is you said you started to see the avatars as normal people, like they started to look yeah. like real people. Yeah, that was weird. It was like, it wasn't until like day eight that things started to get weird. You know, your brain can take a lot before it starts to accept something as reality. And it was after over a weekend that all of a sudden my brain was like, I guess this is existence now. I guess, I guess I have to relearn what a living creature is and what an environment is. And this is it. And it started to be like when people were talking to me, even though it was their avatar, I was like, making eye contact and looking at them like this is a real person right now it wasn't it was no longer i'm in a game and i'm just thinking about a game world it was like these interactions with these hands and these mouths and these eyes like it started to be like that's real and i was like no it's not that, that, that's a furry avatar what am i talking about but it was the closest i'd had in so long to that that it was like i started accepting okay this is what's really other creatures what these are human beings that i'm interacting with and it makes me worry about people who just spend forever in there i don't know there might be some serious disassociation where when they see a real person that feels like the fake thing versus mm, yeah they are well that's the difference right you you've done it as a what i was thinking that towards the end of it is you've done it as a challenge and i've seen a couple of other youtubers who have just done it as a challenge but you've got to look at the reality that there's some people that are going to be so hooked to it it won't be a challenge for them. They're going to be doing it because that is what they want, would like to do with their life. Because it's a, in a, in a wild way, it's a form of escapism. If you want to sort of spend that long with in VR. Um, so there's that side of VR is what sort of gets me. Uh, and then obviously I've read ready player one. Uh, I've watched the movie. It seems like it can take over someone's life quite easily. And I say that with, knowing how much a phone's taken over everyone's life, how much a, t a PC screen or a, a PC monitor, sorry, or a laptop screen has taken over everyone's work life, their social life with Facebook. And I can't help but sort of imagine 
especially with Apple's advancements in VR, that that's going to be the replacement of your phone. That's going to be the replacement of your social life. That's going to be the replace replacement of your escapism, like Netflix or or, or gaming. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's not only have we let phones take over our lives, but social media in general. Like if you spend ninety percent of your time looking at human beings on Instagram, and then you go for a walk, you're going to be like, wow, these people don't look very good or they don't look very real because you start to uh, accept that what you're seeing on there is real when it's couldn't be further from it. You know, it's a good reminder. I mean, I, I feel like it would be healthy and good for people to go look at real human beings every day, go walk around, go people watch, go have a coffee and see what real people look like and how they act. Because if you're only looking at them on Instagram, you're going to start to have this fake vision of what you think humans look like. And then when you look in the mirror yourself, you're never going to feel good about that because you don't have a filter on. You don't have the exact perfect angle that you're out from the side where you've already changed everything about your appearance. You know, humans were beautiful creatures naturally, but yet we make this fake image that we hold everybody to. And that's, that's the danger when, you know, if you started to spend all your time, even in VR, but the avatars are not very like body friendly or accepting like they're all you know ridiculously huge chests and tiny little waists and if you spend enough time in there you'd look at real people and you'd be like oh these shapes look all wrong to me well no you've looked at the wrong shapes <laughs> so do, do you think with apple and if they're making aug augmented reality so augmented reality is more enhancing your what you can see so for example i know you can use aug aug augmented reality um, at a clothing store, for example, to see what a, a certain outfit would look like on you. But I know with the way Apple and the big tech companies are, would they not have... So say everyone's logged in, everyone's got um, augmented reality glasses on and everyone's logged into the iOS. You walk outside, you're not still not seeing people for who they are. You're now seeing the Instagram version of people because they will have their filters on, turned on on the iOS system. So as you're walking around, you're still seeing people with perfect skin, perfect body types. Well, perfect as in Instagram perfect. Yeah, it's a it's a dangerous precedent to set. You think about, you know, what what point do we allow these virtual versions? And the conversation is kind of coming up with these AI filters people are using right now and posting these AI pictures of themselves on social media. And it's funny because all this time I've seen even their filtered versions on social media. And I see this AI version, I'm like, that looks nothing like this person, even versus their filter. This is like absolutely ridiculous. This is like looking at, you know, pixie fairies or something from a cartoon. And people are like represent putting these on like these are themselves. And I, I, I know it's it's kind of cliche to say, but I just feel so bad for like the kids. Like, I feel like at least I was around just enough before social media that I have like a realistic grounding of what people are like and look like and how bodies change and develop over time. And and I feel like for some of these young people who have their whole life, they've looked at scrolled through Instagram and thought that was real people somewhere in the world. It's not healthy. And if it gets to the point where now the glasses that we even wear, we only see avatars over people instead of seeing those real people, that is very dangerous.
And it's it's very unhealthy. And I worry about that. But I guess at the same time, if now your avatar is all people ever see of you, you don't really have to worry about what you actually look like because it's just your avatar. So maybe people will walk out feeling super confident knowing that because that's you see that now even in VR chat. I've met people who say, you know, in real life, I can't talk to people. I feel completely awkward. But here in my avatar that I now feel like is more me than my real body, I'm the most confident person. I'll walk up to anyone and strike up a conversation. It gives them that side of reality that is really healthy, you know, that human interaction, but yet they've never, they've never done it themselves. So it gets to the point where they're so disconnected that I do worry as someone who loves tech and stuff. I, I always see that grim future that I'm afraid of. <laughs> yeah. I guess like with the podcast with me and Aaron, cause like I said, we started it, I think I said it off camera. We started off doing it about tech society culture. And then as we were getting heavily invested in the tech side of stuff, we were getting heavily invested in society at the same time. And then we saw two parallels, uh, the way society, well, tech sort of leading society in a certain way. And yeah, like you said, there's a whole generation that are coming up that are so used to seeing people through their phones rather than seeing people in person. We were blessed that at an early age, we we couldn't ring a friend easily. We would have to get up, get out of the house and go and knock on the door um, or wait for a certain time of night to ring them on the landline. Um, there's a whole generation that have come up now who can instantly get in contact with anyone they know. And most of their interactions are only from behind the screen. It is very, actually quite scary. Yeah, I feel like you notice a bit when you're in public as well and you speak to people, like younger people, they, I feel like they really struggle to actually talk to you. Even because a lot of them, they, they work at like bar jobs or waitresses or those kind of jobs. So if you're like in a restaurant, they, they just feels about the interactions a little bit off and they're not as friendly. But I guess that's because they're not used to going out and actually talking to people in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that managing Starbucks for the years I did, you know, I'd hire people. And at first it was tough for them. They hadn't talked to people a lot face to face. And the good thing about the job was over time, they got much better at it. They felt much more natural with people. But as we go further towards that side of technology, as people start to just do mobile order pickups for their stuff and we stop even that, are those jobs still going to help people change and become the happy version of themselves that can strike up a conversation with another person? Or will we totally lose that? I, I feel like we, we talk like this and lots of people are like, oh, you're just worrying about stuff. Like, look at our society now, like 30 years ago, everybody thought it'd be terrible and it's fine. And then I'm like, you know, I think if I took a video of all these people with their faces down, their phones, not talking to each other back 30 years and showed people that would have been exactly what they were afraid of happening <laughs> then. And like, we're just living it now and thinking it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a very good point. And it's something I've not actually thought about where people in the past did say I'm warned about this stuff, but everyone today just says yeah, the world's fine, but it's actually not when you look around. Well, the world is fine, but there's still these issues that people are warning about are actually happening. Like you go to a restaurant sometimes and you see like a group of people and they're all just on the phone and you're like, why are you, why are you, why have you all gone out together and you're on your phones? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're living that fear that people said. And, you know, we don't want to be alarmist and think that, oh, it's going to get worse, going to get worse. I think that there will always be a point where we think, okay, we got to change something. But I do wonder, you know, how far will it go and how disconnected are people going to feel? Because I 
from talking to people online now, it's hard to know, you know, is it really that, or are we just seeing the awareness of it? But it seems like people feel more disconnected than ever. And yet we're more connected through social media and our devices than we've ever been. I can talk to, not only can I talk to my family, I can talk to someone I don't even know on the other end of the world in an instant on Omegle, yet none of us feel like we're connecting to people anymore. So how do we fix that? In a way, um, it's, yeah, we're more connected because we can talk to random people that we don't actually know. But it's more of a substitute than it is a sort of a, a next resort because unless you're doing something like we, we've obviously come across you on over the internet which is great but we're having a more intimate conversation where we're actually getting to know each other and what we know about and spreading ideas but when you chat someone on Amigle or on these Twitter various platforms you're not getting someone's full self the way you would if you was to go down to a bar with someone and have an hour or two conversation, you'll get to know a lot more than what someone's going to show you for that hour online. So if you're on Twitter, for example, which, uh, Twitter or Instagram, which is continuous, you're only getting to see one side of someone's reality. Whereas back in the day, when we weren't all sort of connected in such a widespread way, we were getting to know people who were very close to us, and we're getting to know the good parts and the bad parts of people, which made it feel a lot more wholesome because you felt a lot more connected to someone knowing the negative parts of someone's life than the way the internet is at the moment. You're just seeing everyone's living the best life, what it looks like from, from the other side of the screen. Yeah. It was a common thing when Facebook first started getting big. And I remember someone be like, Oh, I want to know something about this person. And I'd be like, well, we can look at their Facebook. And then this common phrase, people say, Oh, well, that's not real. That's nothing about them. You're not going to learn anything from that. And I was like, you're going to learn a lot. What you're going to learn is what they want you to think. When you go look at that, you may not learn the other sides, but you're going to learn everything that they're trying to project about themselves. And that's still just as common now, you know, even sitting here, we're having this conversation. It's very real, but like, I've got lights here that are helping light me in a way that, you know, is nice looking. I've got this whole room set up that I've been able to build because of this channel. But like, this isn't, this is where I do my, my YouTube and my work and stuff like this is my environment here, but my whole home doesn't look like this. You know, this would be a pretty gamer thing to like have people walk into and see in my living room. This would be a little much, but for this room, it's really cool. And I like that, but it's, it's exactly that. You're still only seeing this picture, this window into someone's life of what they want you to know about them. And it's completely different where, like you said, if you go down to the bar, yeah, people can still put on their best impressions and stuff, but I mean, they spill a drink or they drop something on the floor and then we all do it. But you see those real mo moments about them and you see their reaction to something unexpected in those moments. And that tells you more about who they are as a person than, you know, some picture of them on the looking over the Grand Canyon on Instagram is going to tell you. It's very true. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with all this, um, I want to sort of keep it to VR. We're having a good conversation, but I wanted to talk to you a lot about the, it kind of links into society in a way society is going with, the way technology is offering us, it, it has as it has offered us platforms and it is going to continue to offer us platforms in the future. Where we heard a lot about meta, Metaverse, um, I'll say, was it a year ago, maybe? Two years? Yeah, it's been a buzzword for probably a couple of years now. 
But when did Meta, when, when did Facebook rename themselves to Meta? Because that was like yeah. the height of it all, that and that kind of peak. ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it kind of dropped off, and when Metaverse first came around, I know on the podcast, me and Aaron were certainly talking about it a lot, but we are talking about things that are sort of big uh, in the industry news, but Metaverse kind of dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's your thoughts on the Metaverse. Have you Obviously, you've had a go in the Metaverse, but where do you see it going in the future? I think like all emerging technologies, it's not having its moment yet. And there's a lot of people that believe in it and are trying to force it. But the way you can like, the way I've always thought, if you want to know what's going to happen is look back at the past. Like, look at the internet. The internet's been around since, I mean, the 70s, like was the first iterations of networking and stuff. And even in the 90s, when everybody was saying the internet's going to be the next big thing, it's going to change everything. No one knew how or what exactly it meant. No one would have guessed that 30 years later, I could get a car showing up at my door in less than three minutes to take me wherever I want to go. I could have food delivered here. Like people thought, oh, this is going to be, email's going to just replace mail and that's going to be the extent of it. And that's kind of at the infancy we are with this whole idea of a metaverse. This person thinks it's going to do this or it's going to do that. And like, we have no idea where it's really going to end up going yet everyone wants to get in on it now because they saw it happen with the internet. But the same thing happened with the internet. There was that whole dot-com bubble where everybody was like, the internet's the future, everything. And then it almost killed it because it just destroyed so many businesses, so many lives because we weren't ready for it yet. And that's kind of where the metaverse is now. All these companies are going to try and build their version of the metaverse. And there's probably going to be a metaverse bubble if, if it's not already coming upon us where all these companies go, this was a mistake. What have we done? And there's going to be bankruptcies and things that just don't work. But then over time, it'll inch along as progress does and something will come out of it that's different than what we all expected. So I think that the idea of some metaverse where you put on a VR headset like Ready Player One even, and that's just your whole life. You go to work inside of it. You do your socialize inside of it. I don't think anybody truly wants that. But I think that a lot of people want to be able to work from home if they have a remote job where they can put on a headset to go to a meeting and then pop it off and go back to work at their computer on their tablet, however they like to work. I think we'll see those little sides start to change over the next several years, but I don't think we're anywhere near people spending 10 days or forever in it like I did, unless of course someone is, you know, I know I met one person who is agoraphobic and cannot leave their apartment, cannot talk to people in real life, but in VR, you would never guess it. It's completely social and outgoing. There will be people like that, that this technology enables them to have a life much more so than they would have without it. But what we don't want to do is see the technology take everyone who's enjoying their life, how they have it and restructuring it into this technological way that they no longer enjoy. So I, it's a tough one because the word metaverse means something different to everybody. I think whatever it is all going to become, we can't really predict it. Just like we would have never predicted what the internet was going to bring. And it's it's literally, I mean, if your internet goes down, or well, if your power goes out, your whole life changes in a moment. Like, <laughs> it's amazing how tied we are to it all. With Metaverse, obviously you've used the, which I think is quite a big reason why people should switch over and I know what you mean, the metaverse means something different to anyone because it's more of a, it can be whatever you imagine it to can be sort of scenario, but it's going to be heavily used within work. So yeah, everyone's working remotely from home, log on to your VR and you'll feel like you're, you're with people. Um, and then you look at what people do when they're outside of work, they go out and be social, they might go to a bar, they might go and play mini golf, they might go to the cinemas. Um, 
or they might play games, which is obviously already there with with VR. So it seems like the, all the bits are there because if you've done a long day's work and yeah, you want to go out and sort of relax a little bit, but you can't actually be bothered going out. It's more convenient just to instead of taking your headset off, leave it on, tell your friends to log in at a bar type, um, I don't know, virtual space, and then just be social with them on there for for an hour or two hours. And then what you would usually do is come on from the bar and then just go log onto your PC and play games for another couple of hours or watch a movie uh, when you get home. Everything's already there where you don't necessarily need to actually take the goggles off. So when you say the metaverse is whatever anyone wants it to be, for me personally, I think it's just that it's all there. And the way I see society and just a world evolving is more businesses are looking for more convenience for their consumers. And I think Meta have hit the nail on the head because they've obviously created Facebook, which is this ultimate connectivity for everyone and, and anyone. And now they're saying you can have that in the real immersive world. Just don't take your goggles off. Um, so that's the way I see it sort of heading out. Um, but yeah, like you said, only time will tell which businesses as well, are in the bubble. To add to what you're saying, Cam, I feel like at the moment, <clears throat> we, like VR, as adults, it's all new to us. But if you've got children who, say, are going to school in the metaverse, from a young age, they're being brought up in the metaverse. So as they go into the teenage years, they're hanging out with friends in the metaverse, then they're going to have a working life in the metaverse, then a lot of their life is already around the metaverse, so that's what they're used to. So I feel like once the generations get used to being and living in the metaverse, that's when it will really start to like move on like tenfold. Yeah, and that's that slow change that we see over time because like it, it can boggle people's minds, but there's people right now that still here go to the phone store, the AT&T store, and pay their bill in cash. Like those are the generations that would have to essentially age out before we're even at fully the internet digital age. Like we're there right now because most of us do everything online, but there is a whole group of people that don't even touch it. People are so afraid of the internet or barely delve into it. And then eventually we may be those people when metaverse kind of finds what it actually means. We may be those people that we grew up with it and we do a lot of it, but there could be the kids, like you said, who have been so ingrained in it that to them, it would be weird to get on their phone to pay a bill. They keep their headset on to go pay their bills. Like there's kids now that don't want to type on a physical keyboard. They're much faster on their phones. And to a lot of us, that's mind boggling. It's like, if I need to do real work on a PC, I need a mouse and a keyboard. And they're like, no, I edit videos on my phone. It's way easier. I'm just like, <laughs> like, wow, I'm feeling old all of a sudden hearing that people want to use their phone for this stuff. And it may, it may get to that point with, you know, it'll be, it won't be a VR headset or an AR headset. You know, we'll probably be the point where it's just glasses that you can see through, but you tap the side and it poof, takes over your entire vision and all of a sudden you're fully immersed you know it'll be something really simple and friendly but people will be like oh gosh you're typing on your phone i'm just going to get in here and do this so fast like, <laughs> it'll be totally different to us and we'll be the old people that just don't get it anymore it's gonna be like how is this possible <laughs> yeah that's definitely on its way or like you said at the beginning um contact lenses are are there mm -hmm. so it could just be a, a point of 
waking up in the morning and putting your contact lens on and then I don't know, maybe you've got Elon Musk's Neuralink in so you can just tell you yeah. think what you want uh, in your mind. <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll be the old ones putting our glasses on yeah. and everybody else has a thing on the back of their head where they just imagine the food they want and it shows up at their door 10 yeah. seconds later. You know, it could be totally different. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we're talking a lot about what the sort of, I wouldn't say negatives, but where the where the... Patients where it's going yeah but yeah what do you see is in terms of the world today what solutions could vr sort of what provide well what could vr provide a solution for what are the positives of vr like what's what's something that we could look forward to well like we're actually seeing a lot of the stuff so one thing people don't know you said ready player one if you watch the movie of every technology that they used is something that's actually a prototype right now that omnidirectional treadmill he was on is by Infinidec. That's already a real thing. And so there's a lot of sides of it we just don't know about because we see the usual, you know, the Oculus Quest or something, but there's so much in development that's coming and there's a lot of experimentation that's going on. There's experimentation with immersion therapy, people who are afraid of spiders, getting close to a virtual spider, knowing there's no real danger, trying to get over their fear of that all kinds of therapies, the medical field, people are learning to do surgeries in virtual reality because you don't have to experiment on a cadaver, on far be it a real person, and try to figure it out. You can change the way we train people and it can be so much better for anything they want to do. And when I say train, I'm not just talking work because that's what people always think work. I mean, I've been doing uh, supernatural VR boxing for like the last four months now. I've been doing it every day, really religiously. And like, I, I still haven't gone to train with like a real boxing coach. It's not really something I was ever interested in, but now I'm just curious. I'm like, man, they really talk to you well about form. I'm like, I'm so curious. Like I kind of want to just go for one session and talk to them and see if they're like, wow, you are terrible at this. Or they're like, oh, wow. Have you had some training? Cause I wonder like, is this actually helping develop a skill that I couldn't have had without virtual reality? I have no idea. And so it can, it can improve and change your lives. And that's how I look at VR right now. It should add to the richness and fullness of your life. Instead of just hanging out with my friends on a discord call, I can go play mini golf on top of a cliff with them. I'm still doing the same conversation. I'm having the same fun, but it's a better version of that experience. And that's what this should enable us to do is better versions of everything we would have already liked to do. But the, the applications are, I mean, it, it has the potential to change everything in the world. There's even some places that are experimenting people's jobs, a job that needs a physical person, like a stock person at a store. They put on a headset and control a robot because the robot's not at the point yet it can do it and go stock the shelves through this robot. Like imagine if that was this gig economy we deal with now and how, you know, that could, that's its whole own thing. But imagine you just put your headset on for an hour when you feel like it, stock some shelves in the store, pop it off, and you've just made 25 bucks. Like, how how easy would it be to do work like that instead of having to be like, get in your car, get your phone on, go to a restaurant, wait for food, go deliver it. Like, that could really change the way you look at how work can be. And if they have enough people all the time who are kind of jumping in and out of these, the store might not even have to have any actual employees. It's always got a pool of people that are just jumping in and doing the work, and it does just as well. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like kind of t turning work into a game because yeah. I know I think is there a VR game where you can sort of wash your car? <laughs> pressure wash. There's a pressure washing about. one that people have done VR mods, but like Job Simulator, even like it's a fun <laughs> game, but it's kind of like doing work. Like it's a funny version of it. But yeah, if you make that into a game, and I feel like most people, I have a theory that most people, if you 
said, hey, I'm just going to pay you $10,000 a month for the rest of your life. You can do whatever you want. Eventually, you know, six months to a year when they've kind of detoxed from work culture, they're going to want to find something useful to do at their time. They may not want to work eight hours every day, but they might want to spend two or three hours on something they like or are interested in doing. And it could get to the point, maybe that's going to enable us alongside automation that we can jump in and like do some random job to see what it's like and learn it virtually. But it's not something we have to do to live and survive. So that's, that's some of the, like the things I hope and look forward to possibly being that, because I think that I would love to, I've always thought it'd be kind of cool to just like for a year, work one day at a different job every day. So you get to understand what it's really like for everyone that's worked all these different jobs. You know, if everyone had to be a janitor for a day, the whole world would just be a cleaner place because people wouldn't make the horrible messes they do knowing someone has to deal with that. Yeah, that's very, very <laughs> true. Yeah. And then there's also... Well, one, one, the first thing that popped into my head was like you're talking about flight simulator. Imagine mm -hmm. instead of delivering food, you jump onto your computer or you, you jump into your VR and you're flying a drone to someone's mm -hmm. house to drop off food. Um, yeah. And instead of points, it's dollars. You know, you don't yeah. hit an object, you get it there faster. You like do it more efficiently and you make a little bit more money. But it's kind of like you're playing a game, but you're getting real money for that at the same time. <laughs> I'd, I'd try that. The only problem is if you crash it and drop the food, then you're going to lose some money. You lose all your points for the day. <laughs> Everything you've earned up to there, you've lost it. <laughs> game over and you have to start. <laughs> Real, and you get three game overs and you're banned from that one forever, yeah. <laughs> but then I guess the problem with um, it being a game, well, game time, well, I guess it wouldn't go this far, but I heard a while ago about um, surgeons looking into VR because you've only got a limited amount of the best surgeons in the world. If there's a surgeon in Australia, but someone needs treatment in Sweden, for example, but the time is of the essence where they won't be, they won't be able to fly there in time. Once it gets to a certain point, they could just log onto their VR and perform the surgery through a robot. And so there's, it, it will help in the sense of emergency and it will help in, in closing down the, a time is a big problem for or whether you believe in time or not. It's a big problem for people in the sense that if something takes too long, it could be critical, fatal. Um, so it could have the benefit of having a, a surgeon be on the other side of the country and perform a procedure, which is life well, saving. Yeah, I just got LASIK last month and the surgeon never touched me, never had to. What's LASIK? On a LASIK, it's laser eye surgery to correct your vision. So, you know, oh, laser eye surgery, your contacts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was laying on a bed that moved to accommodate which eye was under the machine. The machine moved down, latched onto my eye and cut it with a laser. The other machine moved in and used the laser inside my eye to change it. And then everything got put back on and you know, it, it was all done through machines. Like the, the surgeon was there running the machines but he never had to do any part of it. And I think about like, when you realize that that's possible. Yeah, I could have so it was had 100% automated. It was, it was a, he was controlling them, but it was, it was a hundred percent either him controlling the machine or the surgical assistants that like grabbed my eyelids and put like a clamp uh, in them or yeah. something like that. Like there was no reason he actually had to be there. Yeah, because he was. could have been on a led down on a beach yeah. somewhere, just controlling it through his laptop. <laughs> yeah, and that's scary for most people to think it's <laughs> that serious. Could be done remotely, but just like you've said, if you have the expert, the technology has to catch up. We have to have the robotics, the automation has to be good enough. But if it were, 
he could have been anywhere doing that to me and it wouldn't have been any different. Mm. I guess it yeah, would have been different for you because you would have felt reassured knowing the surgeon was in the room, but he could have done practically the exact same thing being in Australia. Yeah, yeah. We're on the cusp of something. That's why I say when we talk about metaverse, I don't believe that the concepts that we think right now are going to be are exactly what it's going to be. I think that just like the internet 30 years ago in its inception, no one would have ever thought that it's changed. That I mean, we're sitting here filming something together across the world. People had no idea how much more it was going to enable us to do as a society. And I think the idea of a metaverse will see that same change over time as we realize, oh, wow, we can change everything with it. Hmm. It's just, um, yeah, I guess with what Mark uh, Zuckerberg is doing is just hedging his bets, I guess. He knows that there's potential in it, and it's kind of not up to him to see where it goes. It's up to the, the, the users and how people are going to use it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like in most things, when you look back in history, you know, there was like the whole, I wasn't alive for it, but there's like the debate between VHS videotapes and Betamax tapes. And I guess Betamax were like better, better quality, better sound quality, but it didn't win. You know, I think that it's going to be kind of the same thing here. And I think if you look at like early internet and compare it, one thing that I worry about, like Meta is trying hard to like take this over and be that, but any of the early internet companies barely exist anymore. Like it's a very low chance that just because they're the first, it means they're going to eventually be the whole thing. I mean, does it, it, what was Netscape Navigator was like one of the biggest things in internet in the beginning. I don't think anyone even knows what the heck that is now. <laughs> like he's, he's making some big bets on the fact that they are going to be a part of it. I think the metaverse will be big. I don't know if meta will even exist by then. Mm, yeah. Cause like another company would replicate it, but develop it further and take it to the next step. Maybe. Yeah. Facebook or Meta is an internet. They have the me mentality of an internet age rather than the yeah. actual metaverse age. Yeah, yeah. It'll probably be some new thing that comes along and sees it differently. I mean, even like Yahoo versus Google, you look at Google uh, took over. Yahoo used to be the biggest search engine. Like what did Google do different that made them everyone, what everyone went to? But yet it's still huge. It might be some new company that's just metaverse thinking only and they might take off with it. It does feel like we're going through a massive like shift digitally at the moment. Um, and you relating this to sort of the internet age and the dawn of the internet is making me think a lot differently about the metaverse because I've only sort of looked at it at face value from what we see of it today. And I've always thought like, why would I go put a headset on to sit in a meeting when I can just come on Zoom and have the meeting. I just feel like it'd be easier just to open an app on my laptop and then I'm in a meeting. Um, but obviously it all depends on where consumers push the metaverse and VR on what their demands for it are. Um, at the moment, the demands might not be there at the moment, like right there, but the technology is growing and the consumers will push it somewhere in the future but where they push it we it's all speculation yeah it's and and that was the same thing back then too like i remember when i was a kid my mom the way she paid bills and this is wild for to tell people this now she had all her bills her phone bill her 
whatever the heck bills people paid back then, cable and stuff. And when we went to Fred Meyer to get groceries, there was this box in the front that said Comcast. It said Pacific Power. It said all these things. And you'd put each envelope in each one of those with a check. And she was like, why would I want to go to a website, make a username, pay my bill there, and then go to another website and pay this and pay that? It's the kind of the same thing we're talking about right now with the Zoom meeting. Like the Zoom meeting seems so much easier, but eventually the technology will change to where it is more convenient. I mean, now I can't imagine having to go somewhere to pay my bills. They just automatically come out. But back then, it, that seemed crazy to think you'd have to spend all this time on the internet searching these down. But the internet had to get faster. The websites had to get more user-friendly. Now that we have phones, that changed everything. So I think that there's also going to be some new device that makes the metaverse actually more useful. Because right now, VR headsets, I love them. But they are heavy, they're clunky, they're hot, they fog up on you. There's a million reasons not to use one. Just like back then, using the internet, you killed your phone line. You waited for it to dial. It was slow as hell. The, the technology has to get to a point where all of a sudden you think, oh, I don't want to have to go to my computer to do a Zoom meeting. I just want to tap the side of my glasses and be in that meeting. Mm. That's a whole different experience. Yeah, you'll find like bits and bobs, like what in, what the internet and what computers were good for when you first came out, small tasks, and you slowly start transitioning over to them, um, which we'll do with, with VR. And then once we're sort of reliant on them, then the evolution will come where new apps will come out, internet speeds will get infinitely faster um the actual experience will get better because i was watching a video last week i think maybe about the evolution of vr in terms of the immersion and it's it was comparing it to when you played on a playstation one you thought at the time you was playing on the pinnacle that there's ever going to be there's <laughs> never going to be anything better than this but yeah. I, I could even look at a PS1 screen now uh, of a game and think, I remember that feeling back in the day of thinking, this is amazing, these graphics. But then P PlayStation 2 came out and you're like, I remember, I think it was GTA San Andreas when that came out. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, it, like, I can't see graphics getting any better than this. And like, look <laughs> at us now, we can literally play like a near enough close to real game. And then you look back on San Andreas and think, how did I have that feeling? of this is the pinnacle of of graphics well, even now in 20 years from now you're going to look at like cyberpunk 2077 and go wow that looks terrible but the the biggest change that vr is bringing is it's changing everything we've always done in 2d to actual three dimensions and that is still one of the biggest things about vr that is like the unsung benefit that i think will change things because right now like someone said there's been no innovation in video games since mario 64 and I think about that. I'm like, that's crazy. And then you think about it, you're like, it's gotten better looking and the jump mechanics have gotten better and the games have gotten better. But ultimately, a game now versus those games, then it's still that two-dimensional perspective of a three-dimensional world that you're able to travel around and do all these things in. It still is just a better looking version of that. Mm -hmm. Going inside of the game and seeing things in three dimension, real true to life in VR is like the next big change like from when games went from a flat side scroller to being 3D inside of the game. This is like a real next step that really can take us somewhere. But we, with technology, you know, this new tech comes, we have to take a step back. We can't make graphics as good with VR because it's rendering twice as much through two eyes. The stereoscopic three-dimensional vision is getting better with each gen of this tech. But even the first ones, like you said on the phone, it made you sick. It was one flat screen. 
as we get better and better at actually conveying the real three-dimensionality of VR, it's going to get to a point where you just feel like you're in a different world rather than seeing a different world through a TV, which is what we've been used to with gaming consoles. Mm. Yeah, that's very true that with the Nintendo, um, you're still externally playing a game, whereas yeah. being immersed, it is the next step up. But we, we sort of, during when we did the console wars video, we sort of, when it, the, P, the jump from PS4 to PS5, it doesn't feel like much has changed from then, like, yeah. pretty much. Like, they're still releasing, like, God of War Ragnarok, for example, has been released on PS4 and PS5. The graphics might be slightly better, but not that much to affect your actual experience playing the game. And I feel like there is a need in gaming now to sort of jump up to that next level and really change things, which VR does seem like the logical step in that direction. Yeah, it's it's totally different. One problem that we're having in VR, though, is these traditional game developers, just like we said earlier in the conversation, the Internet companies trying to do the metaverse. These traditional gaming companies are coming into VR and trying to like translate their games to VR. And a lot of times it's not working. You look at like Medal of Honor, that's a huge gaming franchise and people love it. They tried to make a VR game and it kind of fell on its face because people who start in VR, they start developing in VR, they know how important every mechanic is in VR. When I reload, I don't want to press a button and everything happens. I want to grab my mag, pull it out, put a new mag in, cock it, and then go back to shooting. I want to feel like I'm doing it. But a lot of these companies step in and they think, okay, we're just going to take our traditional game, put it in VR, and they're not utilizing it to its true potential. And so what we're seeing in VR is a lot of like the best VR games are coming from companies that started in VR, that completely developed in VR, and they're pushing the envelope. So do you think some of these VR companies are going to take over the big game developers? I think at least in the VR space, yes. Like even now, like you look at like resolution games and others that are these known gaming and the gaming world would be like, who are they? That's not EA, you know, who are they? But they are the ones that will eventually probably be the conglomerate huge companies in VR that we all know the name of instantly if we like VR because they started the work and built it up. They didn't just come in thinking, I already know how games work and now I'm gonna come take over the VR scene. It's totally different. And these big companies aren't all realizing that. Some of them came in experimental, Half-Life Alex. I'm thinking of, you know, Valve. They came in experimental and that wasn't even supposed to be a game. That was just them playing around with Half-Life assets, trying to figure out how VR can work. And at some point they said, this is too good. This has to actually become a game. But that was them experimenting. That's what's needed. You have to experiment. You have to learn because it's a different tech. Other companies, a lot of them step in and we all go, wow, what the heck happened? Because like it's nothing compared to what's out there and it just sucks. You need people that see that VR is different and don't just try and replicate the same formula. Yeah. Yeah. So because I know Epic Games are trying to do a lot in the VR space. What? Are they, are they just doing what you first mentioned they're just porting games into vr uh so epic games i know that i'm interested to hear more because you're saying like it seems like they're trying to from my perspective as someone who's in vr i feel like their games launcher they're like giving out free games that are vr games but i can't think of anything off the top of my head that epic games has like tried to develop themselves for vr anything like that so that might be a oh i might, might be, be off the mark with it then because 
you probably know if I mentioned it. <laughs> but I know that like they just on the Epic Store gave out Star Wars Squadrons for free. Mm. Uh, and so like... Well, they must be... Yeah, yeah they, they have good things on their store that you can then play in VR, but none of it is anything that they've developed. And I know that there was recently just something that came out that said like they're there's not going to be anything to do with like Fortnite and VR as far as we know and stuff. So like, I, I don't know, but I can't think of hardly any mainstream developers that are now known in the VR space for making good VR games. Even a lot of the ones that were like made on Sony were made by like Sony's Japan studios or like impulse gear, you know, these other smaller studios that aren't huge in the gaming space but they're passionate about vr and that's why their games succeed because they make better games not every game in, is in vr is good but the ones that are good you can tell they had a passion when they did it yeah 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 um well just on the gaming topic um what obviously pay to win is a massive sort of problem in the gaming industry but what's happening what do you think's happening to the gaming industry because I've been a gamer since well PlayStation One or even before, but I'm suddenly getting to a point now where I'm in a, a group chat with my friends and we're trying to figure out a game that we can all play, and there's not that much choice because I don't know. Oh, that's well, what my question is like: what's going on? Why why has the game market gone so downhill? <laughs> I think that the game market has shifted a lot because of the age of gamers. You know, it used to be that it wasn't cool to game. And so it wasn't the most mainstream thing. But now it's like from a young age, everyone needs to be a gamer. So you have a lot of people marketing a lot of money towards the youngest of the young in the VR world. And that's where games like Fortnite absolutely succeed. Because when it's free, mm. free, <laughs> you know, to download and play it, it's colorful it's fun there's these dances so it appeals to the younger audiences especially and all of a sudden all these companies are like wow the money being spent on these games by these kids somehow you know kids don't have these incomes but their parents are allowing them to they're buying them these gift cards the money is there so a lot of companies are suddenly focusing on how do i jump in on that because older generation gamers you know you might get a game like zelda or call of duty or whatever and you'll play you know a hundred hours in it that's not making them any money beyond buying the game the first time so everyone is like how do i make how do i continue to monetize and as our whole culture is moving towards this subscription-based everything because i can sell you a game once for 60 bucks or i can sell you it for ten dollars a month for three years and make way more money we see this this nasty shift that money is making in the gaming industry and so it's working they're making more money than ever. But some of us, just like Aaron was saying, we're kind of waiting for like this next seven game because we're getting kind of sick of what's happening. We're like, I don't want a game that I get to a really good level. And the only way I'm going to get further is to buy some helm of disintegration or something that's going to give me more points to be able to beat my enemies or something. You know, we kind of miss that like old school gaming. And that's kind of what attracted me to VR. It's like you buy a game and you have it. And then you get to play it. There's not as much of that in it yet. It hasn't been infected by it where it feels like the whole gaming industry. It's like all of a sudden everything has some sort of subscription or some sort of thing you can buy. And even if it's just cosmetic, Fortnite 
is there's been articles that talk about how dangerous it is that kids get bullied like crazy if they use the default skins. You have to buy skins. And then, of course, now there's the new trendy skin that you need to have. And they just keep doing this. It's just consumerism at the heart of it all, but it's now infecting the gaming world where it used to be gamers were kind of these, you know, a lot of times they were the outcasts. They were the kids that weren't the cool kids and they were off doing their own fun thing. And so there wasn't this huge greedy, greedy system that was like, oh, we can milk this for all it's worth because it wasn't mainstream. But as it's become mainstream and everybody games, now you have tons of things just trying to think, how can I profit off of them? And that's where the pay to win, the subscriptions and all these horrible things started popping in. And at least some of us have fought back and you know, EA learned their lesson about loot boxes and stuff. But the more it becomes okay in games for something like that to keep happening, the worse that will get. So I don't like that. <laughs> well, it just takes people to get used to it and then they sort of forget about how it was. Definitely with another generation coming up they won't even remember how it was, the good old days. They'll just be so used to paying a certain amount that they'll then capitalise on, the big companies will capitalise on that and then get a little bit more greedy and turn it to something else. Uh, one thing you said, though, about kids getting bullied about what skins they've got, that scares me in the sense of the metaverse because it... Because oh, <laughs> if we've got kids going to school in the metaverse... Kids get bullied anyway at school for wearing certain clothes. So if we've got kids in the metaverse that can't necessarily afford the skins, it's just going to replicate the exact same problem that we've got in mainstream schools at the moment. You've bought, contributed with people being behind the screen. And when people are behind the screen, they've got no, they don't hold back. They can just go on and on. So it adds, it's like a multiplier effect. Yeah, it can be bullying. Well, it's sort of happening now on Instagram and social media where, they're not just getting bullied in school, but they're getting bullied outside of school as well because they've got constant access yeah, to yeah. all their school friends or school bullies. You can't go home and escape it anymore. Yeah. It's it's 24-7. And that is a huge problem that at least more awareness is coming to it. But there, there was this big argument during uh, COVID lockdowns times. And it was funny because I posted on a subreddit. It's actually a VR subreddit. And I was like, you know, is this going to help make a shift to where people start learning from home and virtual reality environments like that? And this was on a VR subreddit. So you would think that there'd be more people that were like, oh, that would be great. That's a, that's an interesting idea. I just got like destroyed. People were like, what are you thinking? It could never replace school. That's terrible and awful and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I did not expect that on a VR subreddit, maybe a normal subreddit, but it, it boggled my mind because I, this may not be as prevalent there and this may be a rabbit hole, but like we had, when I was a kid in school, we had earthquake drills. They would shake the desks and you'd have to get under the desk and cover the back of your spine because you were trying to be prepared for that. Now we have active shooter drills. So now all of a sudden they say, okay, there's a shooter in the school and everybody has to like hide in the corner of a room and lock the door to the classroom and like prepare for this. And I'm like, how is this reality now? But also like, if we switch to virtual schools, this, the bullying could be bad, but at least your life wouldn't be in danger. Like a shooter isn't going to go to each person's home one at a time and try to find yet they walk into a classroom and there's everyone there, you know, and even the bullying itself, cyber bullying can be terrible, but at, at, there is some point where they can't physically damage your body if you're virtual. And yet everybody was like, that is the worst idea ever. How could anyone even consider doing that with schooling? It has to be in person. I'm like, does it? 
I don't know. I had in school, I had mostly in-person school. So I had that side of it. It's hard to imagine different, but I also was very fortunate that I didn't get bullied in school. Like hardly ever. Like there was a little bit, you know, you go through your awkward phase in some grades, but I attribute a lot of that. My mom homeschooled me for middle school, which for here is seventh and eighth grade. And then I went back in at high school. And I think missing that time was huge because a lot of people say that was the worst time of school was middle school. Everybody was awful to each other and it was terrible. And I think that made me lucky. But I think about, man, if I was someone who had to go to school every day and face these people that shoved me in lockers or gave me a swirly, like I would, I would love for it to only be the virtual side, at least to escape that because, and then you have these active shooter drills now too. It's like, how do you even go to school and feel comfortable and safe to learn and discuss things when you're like preparing at any moment for someone to walk in and try to kill you? That is, that is wild. That sounds so surreal that they um, have drills for active shooters. Even in like slow grades, like there was actually just an article that came out that this one mother pulled her kid out of, gosh, was it preschool? Because she didn't feel like they should be having shooter drills at a preschool. It's a preschool. Yeah. Jeez. I I get it from that side. There's the other side of it, which um, you'll probably see it in movies or I, I don't know. I guess we see a lot of America through the lens of a movie. Um, but there's the side of it where, yes, say you're getting bullied at school and it's going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then you're telling your parents and then suddenly some your older brother's like, you know what you need to do? You need to go in and punch the bully or whatever. You can do that and you can stand up to a bully. Whereas online, if someone keeps hassling you and hassling you and you don't have maybe the wit to come up with a, a good enough comeback or you can't physically defend yourself. So you can't necessarily have the opportunity to defend yourself and stand up to the bully. So it's just going to keep going on and on. And then it might jeopardize. Yeah. It might be fine for their physical being, but their mental being might get be, it might be a hell of a lot worse for their mental being. Yeah. It's, it's a dangerous throw too, because then people can use that argument and say, we should be recording what's going on so that we can check if someone reports that someone's being bullied, but then you step into privacy concerns and constantly recording kids while they're at school and changing everyone's behavior because they know they're constantly being watched. Then will they still be able to learn effectively knowing that in the back of their mind that anything they do or say is being recorded. That's it's all this, it's all this new frontier that we haven't had to cross as a society because it's just never existed. And we're wading through some very new waters. It's going to take time to figure out how do we do this in a way that's better because it's, it's just, we don't have any examples to turn to. And I guess talking about privacy, uh, one of my concerns with the metaverse and VR is if one, one of the big tech companies own the metaverse and say you're sending your children and into the metaverse straight away they've got all your children's details they know exactly what they're learning at school they may even have an influence on what your children are being taught at school which coming from a private company that they're worth like billions is so that's like a bit of a concern how will the metaverse be set up how will it be sort of controlled will it be decentralized will it be controlled by a large corporation or will it be government controlled? Yeah, that's, that's a fear that's happening, you know, as Meta renamed themselves to Meta. And I think that if you look at historically, anytime the government has been in control of something, 
it's been kind of bad. But then when they allow companies to take it over, it's actually worse. <laughs> like that's what we've seen in this country with like, and where other countries still have healthcare that's controlled by the government. It's a mess, but at least it's free. And here it's like, you can barely even get the care you have unless you have tons of money. And so that's, that's the same question, but people always, we always have this like way we look ahead and think, oh gosh, what if this happens? And I try to ask like, where are we now? Like, are we not already kind of in this land where companies are controlling our behaviors? You know, I talk about something and suddenly my phone is showing me ads for it to go buy it. It's like, is, are we right now living in this perfect society where we're not being in complete control of companies? It wasn't from a young age that I had to, you know, recite these words in school saying that I would always stand on one side of something, like all these things. I'm like looking back and I'm like, maybe I've been programmed my whole life already. Is, is this the sudden shift that we're so afraid of? It's hard to look in the mirror and ask, where are we? But yeah. It's easy to get caught up in the doom and gloom. There is a lot of good, but I also fear that if any single company owns it, it'll be bad. But if we just leave it wild, like the wild west, like the internet, you know, then you have everything out there. So it's like, how, how do you instill control in anything in a fair way that keeps everyone feeling safe? And is it even possible? Cause we haven't proven as a society really that it is possible yet. How can the internet be any different? Mm. I guess that's what the problem is with Twitter at the moment is. You can't leave it to be a wild west because obviously you've seen some of the uh, horrible stuff that gets put on there. But at the same time, where do you draw the line? Because there needs to be a line because obviously you don't want the stuff that's been put on there on there. But when you start putting a line out there, what does it mean? It means people have control over changing where the line is. And that's what's been happening. Obviously, Elon's brought the line back down, but still a line and people don't know when they're going to cross it and then there's a massive aspect of control and yeah if we are going to go into a metaverse world which is even if parts of it like the internet are kind of parts of it are controlled by different corporations you've got youtube controlled by google twitter now controlled by elon facebook or the new meta coming up by um mark zuckerberg you've got all these different people who have different lines that you can't cross or you can cross you can get banned off this you can get banned off that you don't want to get it to a point where you might get banned for you might put something bad on your facebook page that means you can't go to your virtual school the next day so then that person's having a problem with your education because they've been banned from but for something they've said elsewhere so it's so like multi-complex um way too complex for me to have an answer for anyway Um, (laughs) that's the problem with most issues in life they're not as black and white as we're taught when we're children mm -hmm. they are and when you start to really peel back the layers and look at the intensity of any even something that seems like a simple issue it's very very complex and how do we as a society work towards a a simple and helpful solution that works for everyone if maybe that doesn't exist yeah i mean we we had the conversation on the podcast about uh, is capitalism the right is it the right way of living because from what we can tell capitalism's just turn into to greed and you see it in the gaming industry with pay to win it's all gr- greed focused so as soon as we see it in the medical industry you'll see it in the medical industry in um in the us but when anything new and shiny comes out yeah it'll be sort of developed by the what would you call it like the indie people who were involved in the industry and they're developing it out and coming up with all the new ideas 
And then as soon as the capitalists get involved and the big companies and corporations, they're just being like, scrap that, scrap that, scrap that, keep all this, but this is the price tag for it. And they just ramp it up and take, 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 take. Um, and just, they don't, they don't give, give, give. So finding the balance, well, VR, I know for a fact, there's a lot of positives from it. Like we've talked about, um, definitely with surgery and obviously with your, um, eye surgery where that's going to be in the next five to 10 years. Um, but with everything good, there also comes a lot of bad, <laughs> which we've got to be aware of and prepared for. As soon as big money gets involved, that's when everything just seems to turn bad. So yeah, that's where we've been in an age with VR where people knew if they made a game, they weren't going to make a ton of profit. It just wasn't there. So now as it's starting to get into the mainstream and getting this limelight, all of a sudden, if companies suddenly see, ooh, this is where I'm going to make all my money, we might see a change that we don't like. So we have to keep fighting for this, the side we want in it so that we don't turn into all these other industries that are just ruled and governed by greed because that's... It's not something any of us really want. Even the, it's weird. This, okay, I'm, I'm going to open up a can here, but this is what's weird is like we create these things in society and we think that like, oh, well, the people who are benefiting at the top are in love with the way it's working. They want to keep going. But we create a society where everyone is kind of miserable. Celebrities have some of the most rampant drug problems and alcohol problems and suicide. It's, it's we, we make people think that if you get there, you're going to be happy. And the people who do suddenly realize they weren't happy. They're not happy now. And yet we've created this system that everyone lives by and abides by, but no one is truly happy in. It, it, we have to start thinking, okay, how do we actually find what makes people happy and have that? And I'm, I'm with you there. I think capitalism was a fast way to build societies and build strong ones. But I think we're starting to see what happens when you've used it and you don't start to shift the model. And it's time to start rethinking, okay, we've built this big, huge society with all this How do we now make sure that everyone in the society is taken care of instead of just the people who have all the money and are still miserable when they have it all? Mm, yes. How do we sustain what we've built right now? Um, yeah. And what you're saying, um, and it relates to the gaming industry in a sense as well, that people are, in a sense, they're forced to try and drive their way to fame um, because they can. there's a pot of gold at the top of fame, which the pot of gold isn't really that big in comparison to the pot of gold that the people who want you to be getting into fame get. Um, but people are driven and sort of pushed into this direction of, yeah, you need more Instagram um, likes, you need more opportunities in this segment. And then when you're looking at the gaming industry, you, like you said, you've got people that you can tell are passionately making games for VR, but people were passionately making games for consoles. And that got taken over by corporate greed and they sort of push passion out of it. And their passion is just to make as much money as they can and just to suck as much money out of whatever industry they get involved in out of it, which gets the creativity sort of pushed away. That's why games are at the lower end of the spectrum at the moment. Um, but then the same things happens with people, with people in society is the people at the top who want the money, they're pushing everyone to not work to a passion and work a certain line, a certain method to get to what they call the top, which is the fame, which like you said, is filled with problems and drug habits and depression and competitiveness, all of the nasty things you can think of. That's what fame's full of. But yeah, society's pushing people into that and telling them don't go for your passion. 
don't think about what you're passionate about, what you enjoy doing. You want this, you need this. And it's just taking everyone's creativity out of the box thinking, everything just sucking it out of them and sort of robotically on the way to depression. <laughs> yeah. Capitalism works best if people aren't happy and need to buy things that they think are going to make them happy. And so if you suddenly retune society to let's make everyone happy, would capitalism work? I don't know. We've never tried hard enough to see, but it's definitely uh we're we're at a point as a society where we're learning, okay, it's time to like time to take care of people. Mental health is something we constantly talk about. And it's really tough for people in, in the gaming spotlight with YouTube. Like they think that, you know, once I get a certain amount of subscribers, I'm going to be happy and my life is going to be good. But just like money, there is unlimited subscribers you could get. There's unlimited money you get. So you're always chasing something that may never actually get you there. You got to figure yeah, out what makes you happy. Instead of teaching society to be sort of content with what they've got and live in the present, we seem to teach society to go and get more, go get it, like growth, 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 growth. And that's it. But once you've grown, like, like I know what it's like to like, achieve something. It feels good at the time, but then afterwards, like, it's like, all right, I've achieved it now. What's the next thing? But then it's just a never ending thing. You can carry on doing that forever and you're never going to be content. It's only until, until recently when I've sort of reflected and looked into it myself where I thought, Actually, just be content now and enjoy the journey going up to that next step. But if they, if sort of the society is not taught to go and get more and not be content now, then they're not going to be spending the money and making yeah. the economy spin. Exactly. <laughs> Who knew this episode was going to take all of your concepts from Alden so far and bring them together? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, so we're on, well, past an hour and a half, but I've got a question for you. Um, fairly deep, but we'll, we'll ask it. So it relates to what I've learned and perceived about the metaverse or VR space at the moment. And if you look at the evolution of it, if you read Ready Player One, look at how things sort of fall into place and what, how people predict the, predict the future is going to be, do you think it's a possibility that we're in a matrix right now. <laughs> Are we in a simulation? That is a growing question. I mean, I do, th I do think it's theoretically possible. You know, I ask myself, is my reaction time or sometimes lack thereof, is that the lag? between where my actual physical body and brain are and what I perceive to be it. I think the, the ultimate problem with the question is it's something we can never prove or figure out. So it's one of those things that you can spend your shower thoughts on, or you can think about something that makes you happy. You know, those are your choices that are in front of you. But I will say that I, I think it's definitely plausible, but I'm going to live my life like it's not because there's, it's just something I'll be spinning my wheels on. <laughs> Definitely. That was a good answer. <laughs> it's um it's a question without a right answer, obviously. Um but I just thought because of the space that you're in, um it always comes it pops up in my head whenever I think about VR and then I think about the evolution into contact lenses and then I look at the evolution into the neural link. But what's next after that? And it's a very deep question that can get your head in a spiral, but it's always a question we're interested in on this channel is what is next.
It is an interesting thing. And it's gotten a lot more spotlight as like Elon Musk was one who said he doesn't believe that we are. But it's if you think about even what we've been taught, if you accept everything that we've been taught as an absolute certainty, the way we perceive reality around us, we see light bouncing off of objects that then comes into our eyes and is deciphered by our brain. That means that everything that's happening isn't actually even happening in real time. We have perceived the amount of time it took for me to drop something and try to catch it. The amount of time that it fell was ahead of what was actually being perceived by my brain. And then when I didn't catch it as it fell, that was partially because of that tiny bit of lag in between there. So it goes into a bigger question of what is reality? Is it something that really exists or is it how we see it? Because if someone's colorblind, they see a completely different version. This is a really weird one, but something that I've thought about a lot of years in school, once they told us, you know, cover one eye and now cover the other. And you can tell there's a very small amount of color perception between each eye that's a little different. And they said that it's never actually been proven that we all see color the same way. My favorite color is blue. What I see is blue, maybe you see is green. And then you say your favorite color is green, but we all have the same favorite color because we can't actually perceive. Yeah, I've heard about that theory before. Yeah, and the, the theory came about where I, when I heard it was girls naturally like the color pink and boys like the color blue but do they actually see what i see is the color blue are they seeing that as pink <laughs> yeah maybe we all like the same color and we think we're different <laughs> when we're not. yeah <laughs> but just humans themselves like the same color but we just see it as a yeah some animals don't see any you know actual colors and and yet do we think that they're not getting to perceive the same reality that we are mm. that's a that's a whole nother episode for you that's a deep one <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we can go deep all day. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what he said. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I'm good to call if you guys have got anything else. Yeah, no. I, I just want to say, I think this has been really nice and I, I love guesting on podcasts, but obviously they're typically VR focused. I appreciate a podcast that's willing to take it a step further and apply it to real life and ask some of the harder questions of like, where are we? And is the way we're living, you know, is it what we all want? Because that should be what technology is about. It should be about giving us what we want and helping make our lives easier. And sometimes between what happens with the money side of things, it doesn't give us that. And so as someone who loves VR, I want to see it help people learn to do the things they want to do. I want to put on my quest and use the pass through to learn to play the piano, something I've always wanted to do. And that's possible now. That's what these things should be doing. It shouldn't become some money pit that I'm stressed out about because my team doesn't have enough resources. I need to get in and help them collect resources and pay more money to win this game that ultimately doesn't change the way I live. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a good way of looking at it because technology itself is evolving to make things more convenient for us. But at the same time, the people at the top are taking great advantage in advantage of what is becoming more convenient for us and they're exploiting it to a certain sense. And yeah, what, like what you've said there, you can do whatever you want with technology as it progresses. You can learn the piano if you want to learn the piano. It can be used for surgeons to be able to perform surgery from across the world. That shouldn't make um, healthcare more expensive. That should make healthcare cheaper. So people just need to be aware of the, the negatives of technology, the positives of technology, but actually look at what kind of impact it's going to have on humans. And what, imp what that imp what, what's fair about that impact for humans? 
if the technologies are getting better and things are getting easier to do, it shouldn't be harder for people to have access to that technology. Um, and I think surgery is one of the main sort of points which I want to get across because if that evolves and gets easier, that should become cheaper in hindsight. Like with technology, though, like this is just something I'm just thinking now. Without the sort of corporate greed, would technology have advanced as far as it has? That way, what we're seeing today, without all that money being sort of sucked up and then being reinvested into R and D, obviously not all of it. Question. And and there's some interesting theories on this because sometimes people say technology would be better because they purposely slow things down. You know, companies like NASA, who may have technology that's light years ahead of what's being used by the main market, doesn't share that. Someone who creates something, patents it, and doesn't let someone else take the technology and make it even better because they want to keep making money off it. They need that. So there's a side that says it'd be way better. But then there's a side that says, oh, people had to fight for money. And because of that, they innovated and made something when they needed to. And we don't have a case study that can prove either way. But if I had the means, I would love to just put a thousand people on payroll for a year, like, and let them all just live their lives and see what they ended up doing by the time they'd been out of work long enough. Because I wouldn't be out sharing the things that I found in VR that helped me on the internet with people if I had stayed in that corporate cycle. And what would I, what would, what would that have meant? Starbucks stock would have gone up a billionth of a percent because I was running my store better than other people were, or is what I'm doing now more valuable because I'm helping people enjoy something they want. It's hard to say, but if I hadn't done, if I hadn't taken this spot that I have on YouTube, would someone else have just taken this? Would there be another person sitting here with my channel and talking to you while I was still at Starbucks working? Yeah. But then you'd need people at Starbucks working or at, at those sort of jobs working to make sort of what we see as the world going around. Like if there was nobody working in like your local grocery store, you'd walk in and there'd be nothing on the shelves. Right. Like not unless, everybody can be YouTubers or, took over and yeah, we allowed it instead it? of worrying about the, the jobs and saying, everyone needs to have a job. Mm. If we just said, let's just all figure out how to make the robots do the things we don't want to do. And let's just embrace it. Maybe we're at a point as a society where we could actually get rid of every menial, awful job no one likes and let the robots replace it instead of holding on to this feeling that people need jobs, people need jobs, and not let them go chase their passions. Yeah, because I guess there's enough money in circulation, definitely with taxes and so on. The technology's there and the money's somewhat there, depending on what you see money as right now. But if they wanted to actually automate everything and say, we're going to automate everything, all of these jobs which don't require much creativity. Automate all these and everyone can be creative with their mind and see what comes out of it. Um, and like you said, with NASA or the military, have all of this equipment. Because I heard VR has been around for, I think Aaron told me, VR has been around for a very long time, but the military kept hold of it until we were ready as as a... <clears throat> Yeah, so I heard on a podcast that VR was painted in 1960. Um, I don't know if you, you've heard that as well. I think that it goes back that far. Well, there's an argument, though, that some people say it goes back as far as those like 3D picture holders people held up to their face like 
1800s and they say that was like original but i think it i think it goes back even further if you look at some of the the original like the weird i can't remember the name of it right now but there's like this big weird machine that you sit in front of and like had two screens you looked into uh there's been all kinds of iterations but there is a lot of whether it's true or conspiracy there's there's a lot of belief that governments have technology a hundred years ahead of us and they release it slowly so that no one can ever get an advantage over the government. I don't know if that's true, but I, I do think that as far as automation goes and robotics, I think that we are at a point, if we wanted to, we could eliminate jobs and maybe even money, but we've always had it. So it's hard to imagine. We think everybody's just going to sit on the couch and watch TV all day. But as I can tell you, as someone who was enabled to do that, when I quit work, and my wife said she was going to continue to make sure that we were taken care of and I could chase my passion, do what I want. There was like six to nine months where I didn't do much because it was hard. You know, I was first out of it. You have to like detox from all that. But then I was like, I want to do something. Fame is never something that I've chased. But I think about fame, whether money exists or not, fame will always exist. And if there was no money, maybe fame is the person who figured out how to develop the new robot that now does an even better job. You know, it would almost be like our currency would be a uh, reputation. And so you would still want to change people's lives or help people or do something with your time if you had nothing to do with your time. And there would still be famous people because they are the people who have done good things that have changed our lives instead of them just hoarding the most money. Hmm. And I guess it would allow artists, as in, say, like music artists, they... Some of them would just release songs. Like when I first started listening, say um, Kendrick Lamar, for example, I really liked his album. And then his next album, I don't know, like it wasn't as good. But some artists will like release commercial music just for the sake of making money. Some will have an artistic expression. Whereas if there was no money or money, everything was covered, like the living cost, everything was covered like they didn't need any money to survive they would just produce music that they wanted to produce yeah yeah mm. when money doesn't enter the equation your creativity can be totally different because you don't have to worry about starving to death we pit everyone in a constant state of needing to survive and that stifles what they may have done because they had to survive yeah it's like what we were saying earlier about in the gaming industry that passion gets replaced by greed yeah. And it's ultimately money. You know, a lot of times we always want to think there's this one person on hire, this group of people that are making these decisions to ruin it. But when you trace it back, it seems like it's actually just money itself existing makes everyone chase this money. Because if, if we didn't have money, but we still had trade, like at some point you have three desks, you're not going to go, I want another desk. Like at some point there is a state where you say, okay, I have enough, but with money, you can always have more. It can always be in your account. It can always be higher. But like if if you were to tell Jeff Bezos today, okay, you have the rest of your life and you have to spend all the money you have before you die, his money would become something he hated because he wouldn't be able to use it all up. But you can hoard it in an account forever and pass it down to your family, whatever you want to do with it. It's something that does not exist. So you can have an unlimited amount of it and still feel like it's never enough. That's a deep way of looking at it, but I don't even say it's deep, actually. It's very much um, understandable, right? It's not going deep. It's just the way it's run at the moment. And like you said, it's not about the person. It's about the money itself. Money in our society, it, it's running itself. It's 
you chuck it around and people are chasing it. And there's no one out there who's in charge of it all to say enough's enough. The cat is out of the bag and everyone's going crazy for it. Yeah. Um, but you do get the people what, where, where I could see probably change from starting is there's a lot of people who enjoy playing the game and it means manipulating a lot of people. That's where it needs to get switched around because you've got like the Jeff Bezos, the, uh, but uh, the Elon Musk's who are manipulating what they're doing. Apple, for example, their, their marketing's on point, which is manipulating a whole market to think I need this iPhone over this Samsung. They're all doing it and it's all to broaden their bank accounts, but no one's actually helping the people that they're catering. I know you could stress, well, Jeff Bezos is helping us because if I need something tomorrow, I can get it on Amazon Prime tomorrow. But is that actually helping us or is that making us, is he manipulating us to think he's helping us? We're buying more. It actually goes back to Aaron's point from earlier, because I was thinking about how with what we were just saying, like you, you get to where you think you need these things. And like, so does that mean Apple's innovating more? Does that mean, oh, money has driven them to make a better iPhone? Or is the iPhone 14 basically the iPhone 13, but they're telling you you need to buy it? What if every phone company wasn't thinking about money and they were just thinking about building the best phone that would do the most and last the longest? Would we innovate much better phones than we are now? Or would we trickle these things out over several years so we can keep making more money? Mm. And you can even see that in the gaming industry with the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5 not that much of an of an upgrade but, yeah was it really something we all needed or was it just time to release another console mm. and they were like okay we got to release another console we got to make it under this price so people can afford it where if they were just thinking let's release another console let's make it the most mind-blowing thing we can yeah don't worry about money would they have made something way better and would we be speeding faster towards progress versus worrying about how we're going to keep making that money over the next 10 years by releasing not quite as good of tech right now for the next 10 years. Yeah, and we think, well, no, the industry is fine because there's competition. There's PlayStation, there's Xbox, there's Samsung, there's iPhone. We're all thinking, oh, it's healthy, it's healthy competition. But they wouldn't do that because they're competing when it's quite clearly obvious they're working together. Definitely Xbox, well, Microsoft and Sony for the consoles, they're pricing them at the same points. Their specs are practically identical released at the exact same time that isn't a healthy competition that's more of a partnership in a sense (laughs) that's controlling the market what if they just said screw it we're going to work together and make the coolest console ever for everyone what kind of console would we have right now Mm. well then it comes back to that then they would then with them monopolizing the whole industry yes they might make a console the next console, the first console they make together might be a hell of a step up to the PlayStation 5s and the, and the series, Xbox series. But then after that, they're going to be like, mm, we've got them now. So why should we invest any money into R&D when we can just make the controller a little bit more streamlined for the hands or add this gimmick to it um, and charge them the same amount again every three years? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we we don't know because no one's really seen it happen or done it. Stop biting my microphone. But 
it is that question of like, would we be further along or further behind if money didn't play a role? And we don't know, but I hope at some point in my lifetime, I would love to see us get to find out. Hmm. It's a, it's a quite, it's a complex question because I feel like money has done a, a job where it's organized society up to now where I feel like we're coming to the end of like capitalism as we've known it. It feels like we're coming to an end to the end of it. Um, like we're seeing crazy inflation, corruption in governments all around the world. Um, and corporations just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it's time to abolish money and just take, make sure everyone's taken care of. Maybe that would mm. be a, totally different concept to try for a while and see what happens. But then what worries me is <clears throat> who's going to be in charge of that. That's the thing. I think that we have to have everybody actually be in charge, but how does that work? You know, we see now with politics that things can be corrupted and changed. So how do you find that group that can actually all vote together or work together, decide what is the common good when so many people think, the what's good for everyone and other people think it's the total opposite. I don't know, but I think that we have, I think we've gone far enough to see what the result is of what we've done. So maybe it's time to think what would happen if we tried something else, you know, it might be a bit of an experiment, but I mean, even just, just something as simple as like scam phone calls. If money didn't exist, those wouldn't exist. There would be no point. And all those people working in these scam call centers would be able to do something else with their time. Those are jobs that literally only exist because of greed for money and the ability to steal it from other people, where if you only had all the goods you owned, like, yeah, there's still burglaries or robberies, but like someone doesn't want to come steal three desks from your house when they have three desks at their house. Like you can always steal more money from people. Yeah, that's very true. And if you look at a lot of not, but that's a core business model is just literally money to steal money from one person to another. But if you look at other business models, which are in a way disguised as offering something to the consumer, but in reality, it's actually greed. All of these companies will just fold, fold away. They'll just disappear. And what you'll see coming up is innovation-led companies, which are think tanks, which are even things like this, people just getting uh, jumping on, on a call and just talking about innovations, creativities, new ideas. We're talking about a new idea. Like the whole world should be run on right now, or at least trialed. You'll but imagine the amount of people who are stuck in jobs which are quite mean, meaningless to to society and to the evolution of the world. Like you've got a guy, let's say Elon Musk, for example, love him or hate him, he's the pioneer of electric cars, or so to speak. He's the pioneer of SpaceX, apparently, and. He's obviously doing Twitter as well. So he's one guy who's trying to drive innovation in all these areas. Imagine we've probably gone through about 100 or 150 million people that could have been as innovative as someone like Elon Musk, but they've been working a job which doesn't even allow them to realize they've got creativity or innovation in them. So they've just sort of passed through the system and, and just gone to waste doesn't even mean anything people have jobs where they enter data that populates reports for companies that no one even looks at 
Why does that job exist? Because we're afraid that if we automate and replace jobs, that people are just going to become lazy pieces of crap, which is some weird idea that we all have for some reason when it's like people want to do something with their lives. They become a lazy piece of crap when 50 hours a week, they're stuck doing something that means nothing. And then the rest of their time, they just need to sit and recharge. Yeah, they've got no meaning and they're just falling into a deep depression because of the way it's structured at the moment. I think one thing though is if we were, say you was to trial it across the whole of America, it would need to be done very, very strategically. Because like you said, when, even when you um, sort of dropped out of your career to go into the, the world of um, online YouTube, you took six to seven months without doing anything. Imagine you sort of put the whole of America on that scheme at once and everyone yeah. takes six to seven day, months off. <laughs> that might yeah. have a knock-on effect. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... Yeah, should we call it there? I think it's a good spot. I think we've gone a lot further in a lot of directions than we thought we would, but I think it was a very valuable conversation. And I, I'm excited actually to listen back to the episode and let my wife Nat listen because we talk about this stuff a lot between each other. And I think that these ideas are something that actually would resonate with most people if they heard you know, the full conversation of what could it mean to actually get rid of money or something like that. Cause people hear that and they're like, you're crazy, but you hear like the actual thought process behind where could we go as a society. And it's like, maybe it's time to start thinking it's time for the next step, not just for gaming and VR, but for our whole society. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah. Well, thank you a lot for coming on. Um, I mean, we're always welcome to have you back on as well. I mean, we've had such a good conversation with you today and it doesn't even need to be VR focused. Obviously we've talked a lot about VR today, but we can just have it a natural conversation about completely anything. I mean, me and Aaron are always open to new yeah, ideas. We, as you can tell, we love to go on uh, tangents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the problem is I think everyone truly does. We just don't get the chance to anymore, you know, without like a platform or a reason, people don't have these real conversations as much and it's, it needs to happen. So yeah, I'd love to, you know, hit me up in a while and come back and talk and see if you've talked about other people or hit these same things up Has the thought changed or have we found someone that's tried something like this i'd love to know yeah yeah, yeah. Like we're we're sort of on a journey we're trying to just figure out the world and how it all works and are there any better ideas out there than what we can sort of see at the moment so i like always just thinking and talking about also loads of this like sort of stuff which is uh which is good yeah and a great thing this is quite an early um sort of interview i won't really call it an interview more of a early guest i'll call you that we've had on so (laughs) as we've progressed and had a few more guests on and got some more ideas and different lines of thinking then we can get you back on and go over what we found out so far and that will be an extremely beneficial conversation as well sounds like a plan Cool. Anyway, it was nice to meet you as well. (laughs) Nice to meet both of you. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks a lot for coming on. All the best.